Eleven of Us is sponsored by Temenos. Join C-level banking executives, rising stars of fintech and industry influencers at the Temenos Community Forum online on the 26th and 27th of May. TCF is the industry's premier event, bringing customer insights, key announcements and the latest demos from Temenos direct to your screen in this two-day interactive free-to-attend event. Hear from inspiring speakers from Temenos's CEO to industry changemakers like Barclays, Varro and PayPal as they share their best practices for digital transformation. Search Temenos TCF Online 2021. Financial institutions are struggling to move fast enough to compete with new players. Their legacy tech and processes are holding them back. But there is an answer. Our new report, titled Rebuilding Financial Services from the Inside, is a comprehensive guide to what tech teams in financial institutions are thinking and what they want the rest of the business to understand to help them move forward. Head to bit.ly forward slash 11FS Rebuild to download it now. Welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer, and in today's episode, what we're going to be doing is looking at everything embedded finance. What is it? How does it work? What is it for? The benefits of it and the tech that actually powers it as well. Um, We're also going to be taking a little bit of a look ahead at what the future of embedded finance could be, as we're really only scratching the surface in terms of where we are right now. Uh, To talk about this, as always, we have some super duper awesome guests bringing back. First of all, we have Wayne Arnold, the CEO over at Move.io. How are you doing, Wade? Great to see you again. I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me. Um, before we get into it, like, do you want to tell us a little bit more about Move uh, for anybody who are like sitting under a rock in the middle of nowhere who haven't heard of you? <laughs> well, I think there must be a lot of rocks out there. But uh, in general, Move makes it easier for developers to accept, store, and disperse money. And we're really focused on marketplaces and platform companies that consistently have that money in, stored value, money out, and need to do that in a a really quick and easy way. Um, Probably one of the most unique things about how we're going to market is that the most complex and technical pieces of our technology stack are open source and Apache too. Very cool. I remember talking to you about, you got this great idea for a business. What was it like three years, two years, three years ago? And you've gone and made it happen. It's uh, real uh, amazing to see uh, the, the movement going forwards, which is great. Absolutely. It's, it's starting to look like a good idea. So we'll keep after it. Indeed, persistence. All right, and uh, joining Wade, we've also got uh, making a welcome return to the show, uh, Tui Allen, who is a senior product leader over at Shopify. How's it going, Tui? Uh, great. Super glad to be back. Um, obviously, big fan of the show, and uh, Wade, big fan of what you're doing as well. I mean, I think you've nearly been on the show as much as I have over the last couple of weeks. So uh, it just shows what Shopify's been uh, been doing in the recent times with regards to fintech. You know, you, you guys are uh, turning into the uh, the the sort of conf- if we were allowed to go to face to face conferences, I think Shopify would be the the sort of Uber of this this generation of examples at conferences right now in terms of all the good stuff that you guys are doing. So great to have you back. My honor to be here. Uh, and finally, making his Fintech Insider debut, we have Gabrielli Colombro, who is a executive director over at Finos. How's it going? 
Well, uh, thanks for having us here. Really thrilled to have the opportunity. Big fan of the show. Well, it's great to have you all on board. And I just think we've got a pretty uh, intense amount of uh, content to get through regarding the the subject. So we probably want to get off to a, a bit of a start. So um, really what we want to start off with was digging into really what embedded in finance actually is. So what is it? What does it look like? Why is it a good thing for both businesses and consumers? Um, and essentially trying to make it as real as we can do. So maybe if we start with a, a bit of a, a definition, we've, we've defined it as finance that shows up just when you need it. It's finance that is embedded into the existing user journey. Uh, what do you guys think to that? Is that, uh, is that close to how you would sort of go about defining it too? Maybe starting with you. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a great definition and very similar to how we think about it at Shopify as well. Um, for us, we sort of think about it um, through the user journey and in two ways. So one, there's the merchant journey, so our users, but then there's also the customers, so of the merchants and how they interact with um, embedded finance to provide efficiencies for both of those um, different points. Uh, you know, and I think for us, it's all about increasing that convenience um, allow for faster transactions, increasing revenue, and providing a more accessible interface. Mm. And you sort of talked there a little bit about those different users. I mean, do you want to unpack that a little bit more? Because obviously the benefits for those different users across that journey is is significant, isn't it? It is, definitely. And so, as you know, um, at Shopify, we sort of believe embedded finance is all about boosting that revenue and that convenience for our primary customer, the merchants, but it's also about engaging their customers in that uh, that transaction stream. And so there's a few things I'll kind of share that we're doing um, that I think will kind of hit on the, the various different um, journeys for those two user bases. So uh, you've probably heard about Shopify Capital. Um, so Shopify Capital provides merchants with the funding that they need to grow. And, you know, really what we're trying to do here is reduce the barriers that disproportionately um, affect some merchants more than others. Things like reviewing their credit history, requesting lengthy applications, reviewing business plans, uh, all that additional friction that a small business or an entrepreneur really just has to struggle with. And that ultimately ends up causing so much friction and ultimately gets in the way of them actually growing and scaling their business. So uh, we're super proud, but at the end of April, um, Shopify Capital had hit a pretty big milestone where we provided $2 billion in funding to small businesses since its launch in 2016. And so what makes us really proud there is the amount of impact that that has on small businesses and entrepreneurs. So that's one example of embedded finances um, and how it helps our merchants grow. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so many. I'm like, I can keep going, but but we can pause there. <laughs> No, do. I mean, I'm just like, oh my God, that's a big number. Like, that's a, that's amazing. It just shows the, again, the the impact when, as we were sort of saying, the, you know, the, the solution is next to the problem, then actually the impact can be really significant. Exactly. Yep. And so another one that's actually new uh, in a newer area that we are um, entering is um, Shopify Balance. So Shopify Balance gives merchants access to critical money management tools to help solve some of the sort of standard financial challenges that especially plague small businesses and entrepreneurs like managing cash flow, reconciling payments from various sales channels, paying out to their bank account quickly enough and quick enough to be able to manage their day-to-day -day operations. 
So it includes a balance account for managing their money, a Shopify card, which allows them to have quick access to spending both physically and, and virtually, and a rewards program that is specifically built for um, actual small businesses and entrepreneurs. So it sort of actually incentivizes them to spend in areas that we know will actually help grow and um, benefit their growth in their business. So things like shipping and marketing, and then we give them back cash back. For doing that. So it's kind of like a good, like help them and, and then they'll grow. And it's just a kind of a nice um, effect that we have. So that's the second that I'd share that is again, merchant. And I've got a third that's a bit more customer focused that I was going to talk about as well. Go ahead. Let's. You're on a roll. Keep going. All right. I'll go on. A, all right. So, and, and these are just like an example of some of the different embedded fintech offers that we have. So as you mentioned, um, there's a lot going on at Shopify right now in the fintech space. Um, so the third one that I wanted to talk about was installments. Um, so this is our new um, buy now, pay later option that is um, exclusively powered by a firm. And so installments, as many of listeners know, um, is, you know, an opportunity for merchants to offer more convenient payment options to their customer. And that really allows them to split up the purchase over four equal payments, interest-free, with no additional sort of, you know, friction for the consumer. And so this, we know based on data, is really, really valuable to the end consumer, but also really valuable to the merchant in terms of actually increasing um, order sizes and reducing that friction. Um, so those are three examples of like some real sort of embedded finances, the first two that are more targeted at Shopify's primary customer, the merchant, although we do do some stuff that's direct to the actual consumer, and then the third, which is much more on the um, consumer side. And the, and it's fascinating because, like you say, the across the value chain with, like you say, different lens on it, non-banks, you know, Shopify being a non-bank, the, the opportunity to embed financial services all the way through your offering. And as you said to me before in a, another podcast, it's just about solving customers' problems, right? So being able to solve those problems where the problems are occurring is, is, is fascinating. I mean, Wade, obviously, from a technological perspective here, then, you know, actually the the solving of this problem is very similar for non-banks as it is for big incumbent banks. But there's actually quite a lot of opportunity in here for, for the big incumbent organizations as well with regards to uh, BAS, but also with uh, embedded finance much more broadly. So uh, do you want to touch on that slightly? Yeah, absolutely. So we're seeing the same pattern. If you take Shopify and you say, this is a... Um, you know, the modern QuickBooks for the internet company, right? And and embedding that entire workflow into that. So we continue to see incredible vertical SaaS companies. So if horizontal SaaS is CRM, um, accounting, tools that were really generic and needed to be customized for an industry, we now see vertical SaaS companies, whether that's yoga studio as a service or pet daycare as a service, or, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And we see those marketplaces connecting creators or assets with the customers they serve needing to be connected. And, you know, kind of being in the industry for the last 15 years, there's definitely silos of players that accept money and store money and, and remit or disperse money. But if you're kind of going down market, um, how do you provide that user experience that somebody experienced inside of Uber money or they experienced inside of Airbnb? And now they want to do, you know, lawnmowers as a service, connecting unused John Deere tractors with, with the neighborhood that wants to utilize them. Uh, it's really hard to take on that, that lift and connect all those systems. And we see that pattern happening over and over uh, throughout tech. 
Mm. It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, the the impact of this is is really significant, though, isn't it? Because we're not used to, if we just talk a little bit about the traditional model, you know, banks providing financial services, you, the brand above the, uh, uh, you know, above the, the doorway that you walk through, you know, the, the idea that actually financial services moves towards this utility that is distributed where the problem is. I mean, you can see why big traditional banks would have a bit of a problem with this, right? In terms of, but it's our brand, but it's our, you know, and, and actually that that challenge in terms of understanding, having that, you know, emotional intelligence for that level of distribution. I'm not saying bankers are not emotionally intelligent. I was one for quite some time. And what <laughs> but actually being in a situation where you can do that distribution it's a very different model, isn't it? Um, Gabe, what, what do you think? I mean, that's that's a, a challenge to get over here, isn't it? Bank as a service, distributing your capability, not being completely in control of all of your uh, your orchestration in terms of the experience. Um, that that's quite a lot to take in. Uh, I completely agree, and and you know, as you can imagine, as we tried to build a foundation now for three years to you know encourage banks to collaborate with each other. Um, you know, the cultural aspect and the sort of uh, changing the way uh, um, even really they perceive their own way of doing business has been a major part of what we've done. And I think I have to say that I have a pretty positive outlook by now after, you know, again, having, having messaged this idea that the value, uh, I think it goes back to what, you know, Wade was saying, the, 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 the way value is generated in these ecosystems and, you know, where is the real value? Is the value in the code itself? When you think about sort of the way we've developed software and this industry has developed software and delivered software over the last 50 years, or is the value actually in the network that you're creating? And so I think there is an increasing realization that, um, you know, the code itself it's not the value. The, the brand, there are ways to actually, you know, uh, to your point, leverage your brand, leverage the network that you have created without necessarily owning the code end to end. And so that's why I'm, you know, I've seen over the last three years, again, from our perspective, we see, of course, open source being, uh, uh sort of the leading aspect, uh, that we focus on, but it goes very much end to end, sort of hand in hand with, uh, you know, banks understanding that, again, their value is not necessarily in, you know, delivering these massive monolithic platforms, but really driving more and more, uh, you know, transactions into their uh, uh, ecosystems. And so I think whatever does enable that, uh, it's going to, you know, ultimately, as we've seen in pretty much any other industry, uh, it's going to be the differentiator here. Uh, and, and, you know, we see it on our side by bringing together, to your point, not only banks, but fintechs collaborating on common standards, common components that ultimately, you know, has to be a positive sum game for uh, pretty much any of the constituents involved. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I mean, we're going to have different listeners to this podcast. We're going to have a big bank sitting there going, well, that's all lovely. But unless I sell 2.3 products uh, to have a, a universal view, then these products don't make money. So like, that's problematic for me in terms of actually, and if these problems are going to be solved by maybe not me, but somebody else uh, in a distributed way, um, it's great for the customer, but it's maybe not great for the banks. And and almost, I think your I mean, your point around monoliths. Hopefully, nobody listening to this thinks uh, monoliths are a good idea. But equally, they're a very hard drug to get off in terms of if you're a really big incumbent organization. Um, so the uh, but on the other side of that, then you know players like Shopify, this is all opportunity. Like, and that's amazing because we we do have that that sort of 
pressure of forces from each end of that spectrum. And ultimately, the, the best thing for the customer is choice. And this is really what they're getting now is a, a choice of actually how these problems are actually solved for people. So I, I just think it's fascinating. I mean, what, what sort of led to do you think in the last sort of 18 months, 24 months, we've seen a real explosion in this this space because, um, but, but what's been driving that? Is it technology changes? Is it regulatory changes? What, Wade, what, what do you think? Is it is it just a sort of a confluence of all of these different forces or is the, the one that's really uh, exacerbating the problem or the opportunity depending on which way you look at it? I see two primary drivers in why we're seeing this big change. And the, the first primary driver is simply automation. And so to the big banker listening that needs to sell two and a half products, I think the banking as a service, right? That's something that's been abdicated in banking and that we're using a, you know, QuickBooks export from online banking to do reconciliation rather than actually doing the transactions in, in that third party software. We're doing these things for our Fortune 100 companies but we're not going down market and allowing those to happen. So if you're a Fortune 100 company and you want automated treasury management and all of these integrations, that's been available since computers were invented from large financial institutions. It's just uh, done in a snowflake on a customer-by-customer basis. And so I think what we're seeing is a driver of how do I take that level of automation and integration and take it down market? And a lot of the examples we've all brought up are, are what would be considered a small business, you know, 20 million in annual revenue and below. If you're above that, you always had access uh, to technology from the large financial institutions. So those smaller, um, you know, SMBs, for lack of a better term, wanting that high level of, of integration and automation is a, is a big driver. I think the, the second driver that we're seeing is just, it's frankly a better user experience. And so do I want to duct tape and super glue all of these systems together in order to uh, close my books out on a monthly basis? Or do I want to have it all automated inside of my system? And, and it's not just for the back office that, or the um, accounting division of a business. It's for the end users, too. So if I'm, a, if I'm a looking for my insurance payout because I... My, my windshield got broken and I'm used to that Starbucks or the, the, the um, uh, cash app experience where I can choose and self-service myself to how I get that disbursement. Maybe I want it in Bitcoin. Maybe I want it over ACH. Maybe I want it over RTP. Maybe I want it over push to debit. Um, you know, all of those things don't really matter to the user. They just want their money. And so when these large companies that maybe used to have, well, we need an ACH platform or we need a, you know, XYZ platform. Uh, you know, that ship has sailed. Users are demanding what they want at this point. And so, you know, automation and a better user experience, I think, is the, the kind of confluence that's coming together to drive change. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? That that sort of commoditization of of experience like is 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 interesting. Like it ca- it came to mind as you were talking there, Wade. It's like, can you remember when bank grade used to be like a, a term of endearment for how good technology used to be? It's like, what well, is it? Is it it's good? But is it bank grade? You know, technology. Like you wouldn't say that now in a positive sense, would you? In terms of the the ways in which those things are, are set up or established. But but almost the that exactly as you say, Wade. The the expectations are being set 
increasingly outside of financial services for what financial services needs to do. And that that's quite a scary place to be. I think, um, you know, I, I think there's examples in tech, though, that drive user experience. So um, whether you just walk back through history, a, a great mobile experience. Can you imagine going to a website that wasn't responsive at this point? Like, wh- what do you feel about that brand if you had to pinch and zoom? Um, you know, all the way to uh, most of us have been in the tech industry long enough. Remember when Google indexed the entire Earth's information and you had autocomplete, but we were using a text search in our database and you could type in, uh, you know, Gabriel the, and, and misspell it and you get no results. So all of a sudden yep. your software feels very antiquated if you don't have these features embedded inside of it. And I think, you know, whether that's Starbucks to, um, uh, you know, Venmo to all the WeChat or and all these platforms that really set that user experience in the same way Google search set that user experience for that technology. And if you start a software project right now and you don't have Elastic uh, for autocomplete, you, you feel like you have an old app. And, you know, inside of the next couple of years, if you don't have payments uh, inside of that system, you know, oh, I have to leave your platform to go send a creator money so weird. Uh, it's just that user experience that's driving the demand for it. Well, it's so interesting, isn't it? It's at that uh, with that definition, with that view. I mean, this is a this is sort of a watershed moment for financial services because. Uh, you know, the market isn't going to slow down. You know, the genie is well and truly out of the bottle now in terms of these changes and these opportunities. So, I mean, is it a you either get with the program or you lose market share? Because it kind of feels like that at this stage. You know, if people uh, are able to do these things, then they will. Um, what, do, what do you think, Gabe? Well, I completely agree with that. I think it's, uh, it's you know, when we talk about every every bank wants to become a tech firm and, you know, the cross-pollination between sort of the West Coast and the East Coast, I'm, I'm based out here in Oakland. And, you know, many times my board told me, no, please don't move on the East Coast because you're, you're going to bring in innovation by living there. And I'm like, well, it's not that I'm going to catch innovation, but just living here is not, it's not a virus, you know, but um but the reality is sort of to what Wade was saying that I see really, you know, two, two concrete examples of that. One is again, the customers really driving now the user experience and therefore banks have to start behaving, you know, like a tech company from a sort of a product management standpoint from really what problems are we trying to solve for the customer? But the second uh, sort of aspect for me as well is also, again, the cross-pollination between sort of the developer community and the business, Um, you know, especially working with large organizations. I have the luck, let's say, to come from uh, uh, open source communities, having always enjoyed a pretty uh, free, distributed, modern way of developing. Um, I got to say, when five years ago I joined this industry, it was pretty disappointing to see how, again, the day-by-day experience of sort of developers in these large organizations, especially. Um, and, you know, even in some fintechs, you know, when, when you have some fintech that sort of come out of the sort of old uh, cultural and sort of technology patterns, well, you don't see that much of a better experience there. But now, especially with the new generation, I think, again, this is another example of, I, I think, why this is happening. The new generation comes in with, um, you know, uh, they're a GitHub native uh, generation. Partly, they want to give back. Again, I don't consider open source as charity, but it certainly does help to make the case for it. Uh, but they also come with a sort of the need of 
um, you know, the realization of their value and wanted to continue to foster their own portfolio. And so I think that's another, uh, I think, aspect that is driving, you know, uh, a bottom-up change together sort of with the main top-down drivers that we discussed. Yeah, I really agree. I guess, look, whether it's you're listening to this and you're thinking this is a great opportunity or you're listening to this and you're bloody terrified, we're going to have to take a little bit of a break and come back. But we will be telling you how to do it after the break, which is good. So see you in a second. This podcast is sponsored by WaveMaker, the versatile low-code platform that can build more than just apps. Has your IT modernization hit a bottleneck? Do you need to turbocharge your product development? WaveMaker provides a rich drag-and-drop studio for citizen developers and professional coding and API tools for advanced developers crafting serious banking and financial solutions. WaveMaker's open standards architecture enables further customization of the platform for app developers to easily consume your APIs. The possibilities are endless. Visit www.wavemaker.com today. 11FS is supported by Banking Circle. Connect to the fastest, most cost-efficient and transparent payment solution available in the market. Okay, guys, uh, welcome back to the show. In this part of the show, we're going to take a look at the tech. Gabe was just touching on it a little bit before we went to a break, but but actually there's, there is some amazing changes in that space. I mean, Gabe, you talked a little bit about open source and Wade, you touched on this point as, as well in a, in a second ago. I mean, I don't think it's, there's, there's the sort of old piece around, um, you know, your technology choices aren't just about the technology, it's a way of life. Like, and actually open source, I think is probably no better uh, example of that. I mean, do you want to unpack that a, a little bit? Because it changes everything. It changes your operations. It changes your hiring structure. It changes everything, right? Uh, absolutely. And and I think I think first of all, it's important to understand the difference between open and open source. There's certainly a lot of overloading of the word open, um, especially I would say in less mature industries uh, like financial services. When it comes to just open source understanding and engagement, um, you know. Uh, Open APIs, open standards, open data formats, those are all great things. And they do indeed enable uh, uh, platform open ecosystems uh, on them. So first of all, you know, you can have a fully thriving open ecosystem without necessarily having an open source ecosystem. Um, what I think though, and look, over the last three years, there's been a lot of uh, convincing that we needed to do in Finas by trying to get large institutions, fintechs, regulators, all on board with this idea of, of collaborating in the open, you make a very valid point. What, what open source enables is having the collaboration model in the open, not just the output, not just the you know, work product, whether it's your definition of the APIs, whether it's the uh, um, you know, standard format that you're trying to, to again, uh, uh, standardize on throughout the industry. Uh, what we've seen is, especially in a industry that, you know, by definition has been very conservative, very siloed, um, certainly with a low degree of trust between competitors. Uh, but on the other hand, is an industry that needs to collaborate with each other. Like you make money by transacting across players in the industry. And so um, we think open source actually was able to sort of create this, to your point, beyond code, uh, this trusted collaboration model on how do we get to a common solution that actually does, 
you know, uh, indeed solve problems for multiple parties in the industry, whether you're, again, an institution, a fintech, a regulator. I think there is a major potential for open source regulation in the industry moving forward. There's really no competitive differentiator there. Or, of course, a big tech or, you know, a technology company trying to enter the industry. So you're, you're absolutely right. Open source is way more than code. It's really about the way you collaborate to get to that solution. Yeah, I was just going to jump in. I love what Gabe's saying because I think it's a big culture change um, for the financial services sector and uh, a sector that has um, traditionally not been open to uh, innovating and collaborating at that level. But I think that's where the innovation will come. So I think like it's so important to embrace that because that's where the innovation is going to come from is that level of sort of rethinking the models and rethinking how... Um, banks with each other and other financial services providers collaborate. So um, just love what you said, Gabe, and so um, agree with that point. Mm. It's it's interesting, isn't it? If you if you sort of we've we've had a very long run up at this, haven't we, in terms of an industry? Because I mean, to your point, to a um, you know technology in the back office, humans in the front office, humans sort of making up for the limitations from a technological perspective. But the obviously over the last ten years, we've had you know, digital thrusting the technology into the, the the front office, which has just changed the relationship with those things in in such a serious way. And and that's hard, you know. I it, I really think there's been, Wade, I know you've seen this a number of times in, in different organizations, but I think mobile banking really was like the beginning of this because it got people to actually look at what APIs were, how to organize them, how to change their interactions with, with consumers. And it's really rippled from there because as much as when we're talking about with... Um, you know, open source, open stack, uh, getting used to APIs and microservices and everything there. I, I think it's been momentum from that point onwards in terms of financial services. And really, you know, really, this is an evolutionary step in terms of what those things are. I mean, what, what, what do you think? Is this a, is this sort of a natural course of evolution for financial services? Or do you think from a technological perspective, it's, it's more of a leap? We see this pattern in, in all of tech, right? Whether that's operating systems to databases to, um, you know, programming languages, it's the, the uh, commoditization of some of these building blocks in order for the innovation to actually be built on top of it. And so, you know, the, the last company I started, Banna was a digital banking company and we connected to a bunch of, um, you know, FIS, Fiserv, Temenos, Jack Henry, all of these different core systems. But the user experience was exactly the same from one financial institution to the next, regardless of what that backend um, core system was built on. And I think that's that's uh, you know digital banking. And if you take fintech, fintech being totally different than an omni omni-channel digital banking route, um, you're actually starting to sliver out some of those specific pieces, whether that's you know, card issuing or merchant acquiring or um, virtual accounts or ACH um, image cash letter for for, you know, those check things still fly around the United States um, and fintech being different. Uh, you know, there's that classic diagram where where they take the big bank website and break it off and say X, Y, Z company does this. But it also, by definition, means that they do a lot of that one little piece of the big bank being ripped apart. And so we see people coming to our open source projects and they don't need ACH. They need, you know, 7.5 million ACHs a day. Um, and, and if you compare that to, um, you know, a community bank that may have 50,000 
mobile banking users in total, you know, it's just that order of magnitude difference in scale. And I think that that transfer to where fintech is different, fintech is attacking problems in a very unique way at web scale in a cloud native way is really driving, driving that change. What's exciting for me is when I joined, you know, financial services, you know, the, the mainframe, the AS400s, the Z series, the RPG code and COBOL code running on that, that you needed to figure out an IBM I adapter in order to communicate with, you know, that, that was a solved problem. That was really hard stuff. And then, you know, bringing it out, you know, freeing the knowledge, freeing that reference architecture into an open source library that the world can collaborate on has been an incredible experience for me in watching, you know, something that didn't exist, um, as you said, three years ago when I said, hey, I, I got this idea to now I, we have, you know, some of the uh, probably most hardened libraries uh, for doing payments processing in the United States compared to any legacy system from from scratch to that. And to me, that's kind of the power and the promise of open source. Mm. I guess in, in that move, though, from a technology, there's something really critical in that way, I think, in terms of as you're describing it, because the, the move then is uh, big banks do technology projects uh, solving point-to-point -point problems. You know, they are solving a, a problem, a known problem that requirements are captured at the beginning of the project, you know, and, 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 and 18 months later, they've solved the problem, right? But the reality of the technology landscape now, to your point around integrations, is actually, look, do you know who your KYC provider is going to be in, like, four years time, like whoever the best one is, you know, and really you want an architecture that can cope with that and deal with that, not meaning you need a digital transformation program every time you want to change one of your suppliers, right? So, so I think that is that the change is almost the, is architecture and banking growing up to a point where really what we're dealing with is, is sort of web scale technology really just being applied to, to financial services in a way that really drives choice again you know it's choice of vendors it's choice for customers it's it's really sort of choice all the way around i see two major drivers from a technology standpoint one that you hit on you know a kyc provider um, so in the united states we have ofac check we provide an open source ofac check as one of our libraries it has a false positive rate of 0.01 percent pretty good for free really bad if you're google and you need to search for a billion people uh, through that list. So the false positive rate would be a detrimental that, I, you know, if they had to review everyone, it, it would take them an entire year. So there are vendors out there that take on these different challenges of, of different scale points. And I think what we're seeing is, is that modularity that kind of comes um, in the Conway's law, right? The, the architecture needs to map uh, the implementation. And so to, to not say, well, my entire system needs this OFAC uh, tool. You know, I can pick and choose as I scale, which is both, you know, unit economics and, and kind of the solution and features. The other piece is to your point, David, where if I need to build a solution, I want to build treasury management. Um, you know, does that start with a UI? Uh, it absolutely doesn't at Amazon. It starts with what platform capabilities do I need for treasury management? And then I'll come back and build a UI on top of it. And so in tech, that's a common way. I, I need a single ACH gateway and I need to process payroll and loan um, payments and, 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 and. 
um, through that system, whereas most large financial institutions have 27 ACH gateways rather than, you know, a single one that that operates at web scale. And so I think that, you know, banking as a service or, or uh, you know, those financial primitives as a service are really doing what tech has done for a long, long time and said, well, actually, I just need compute. Um, so let's make that as a simple service or I actually need block storage. So let's make that as a simple service. And so as technology is as advancing, we're kind of just going up that that capability stack and saying, actually, I just need ACH as a service, not payroll as a service. I can build payroll on top of that. And so those two trends, I think, are really what's driving, um, you know, the adoption of some of these these technologies that uh, uh, used to be locked away in, in some COBOL code. It's interesting. And, and at that stage, uh, it actually changes the dynamic from a vendor landscape perspective as well, right? Because part of your appeal in terms of vendors being able to work with different people is actually how easy, how great you are to work with, how great your documentation is, how good your APIs are. Like all of these things are so different to just some dude who plays golf with somebody at a big bank who uh, is like really good at sales, you know? So so actually like the market, I think is therefore sort of determining itself in a, in a very, very different way and, and actually, that that leads to the need to collaborate across different players and different markets, and the you know one plus one equaling more than two you know scenarios in terms of what those things can be. But uh, wait, sorry, do you, do you have a point on that? Yeah, absolutely. So, like our um, poor sales pitch is that Move is trying to be the most boring company in fintech, and what we mean by that is if it works, you know, go build your innovation on top of it. And it's really fascinating talking to tech companies that say, hey, Wade, you know, we need, you know, 75 million virtual cards uh, off of your platform versus the bank that says, what can I do with all these low level primitives? And so I think the the marketplace is changing and that uh, innovators want to create the value on top of these uh, low level primitives or these low level capabilities, whereas the typical buyer, um, total stereotyping, but the, the legacy buyer at the financial institution is saying, you know, show me cash management, show me uh, commercial treasury, show me, uh, you know, why would I need a virtual card for an AP system? You know, show me an AP system, not a virtual card on top of that. So I think the buyer is going to change over time. Uh, and I think a lot of that, that, uh, innovation on top of it hopefully comes in house at the financial institution, at the tech company, at the fintech, uh, and then those low level kind of primitives can can be built up from that. Um, many of us have, have been around long enough that you used to put on your website, you know, hosted on Microsoft Windows or or you know we use Oracle or Microsoft SQL as a database. And the reason you put MS SQL on on your website as a feature was because the other database is lost data. And, and so you're like, well, I paid extra for Oracle so that we don't lose data anymore and it's performant. And now the open source uh, community has come through and you don't put that, you don't put that you're hosted on Windows. You don't even put that you're on a cloud provider anymore. It's just assumed. And we see technologies just kind of commoditizing a lot of these building blocks so that the new features, new innovation can be built on top of it. I think one point that is important that sort of bring, brings it together here in my mind is also 
just the familiarity with the cloud and SaaS model uh, uh, in the industry, uh, not just from fintechs, but increasingly, hopefully from financial institutions. Again, I just joined the industry five years ago. And in my mind, again, open source and cloud really go end, end to hand, meaning SaaS has delivered a whole new way of commercializing open source, again, moving away the value from the code itself to the actual you know, service that you're providing to your customers, the reliability, the support, the, again, per user per month type uh, pricing model that they're used to. And so what I've seen over the last three years is that there's been much less resistance, both from banks. I would argue still a lot to learn from fintechs here uh, when you compare it to the broader commercial open source uh, uh tech community that, again, over the last 10 years has seen a major boom. But, um, you know, there is the more understanding and awareness there is of where the value is in a SaaS business model, the less concern I'm seeing on, okay, and we can put this low-level component in the open um, because it might drive strategic goals like Again, a de defining a de facto standard, a better way of exchanging technology with regulators that ultimately are going to have to stamp sort of that for, you know, approval. And so, I, you know, I just wanted to mention, I think there's a major opportunity here in the industry for companies like Move, uh, that I'm, of course, a big fan of, uh, uh, whereby you're sort of decoupling uh, uh, the, the code itself and the sort of your low-level utilities as we've seen in pretty much any other industry. You know, think about Kubernetes, think about, you know, uh, uh, Mongo, Electron, and all those sort of backbone components that we are all used to by now. Uh, I think we're going to see something similar uh, in this industry, and I hope actually fintechs do take advantage of it because it's been, um, interestingly, I would say in our community, some of the banks have now more familiarity with commercial open source models than potentially some of the fintechs. And, and that might be a little controversial, but that's what I'm seeing. Well, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Organizations catch up, right? And actually, you know, I think way to your point a second ago in terms of, you know, the, the talent that then drives around that. Actually, you know, organizations don't like to lose for long. So like being in a situation where they can catch up on those things, at least from a from an architectural or from a technological perspective, I think your your ability to let go of your business model is even harder than your monoliths. So uh, we'll see how they uh, how they catch up with those side of things. I mean, I, I think maybe this this points to a, a, a that that overarching trend. I know this was a, uh, a quote that was by Angela Strange over at A16Z and widely you know, quoted everywhere in the world at this stage in terms of every company will be a fintech company. Um, but largely, that's what we're seeing now. I think she went on to say about every company will derive a significant proportion of its revenue from financial services. I mean, Tui, Shopify didn't start out with a, you know, an ambition to do banking stuff. Um, you know, so and you've sort of alluded before about solving problems. I mean, I'm not going to go into the, the details of your accounts just yet, but, you know, we know Apple have gone out and said, what is it, 2% of all of their revenue is coming from Apple Pay. You know, that's 2% a lot when you're Apple size. You know, I'm sure Shopify is doing very well off, off that uh, foray into financial services. Uh, do you think this is going to be a trend that's almost unstoppable at this stage? I do. And I definitely agree with that statement, too. Um, you know, I think and actually like we're just going back to what Wade and Gabe were both explaining to me. It's like so you think about Legos, right? Like 
so many of like where the innovation is going to happen is that like as we put the different building blocks together and we do it with the actual problem the customer is facing and that journey that that customer's on. And so, and you know, like Asia is probably even further along on this than we are in probably Europe and, and North America. But I do feel that so much of like the innovation and new problems being solved in a different way is going to come from how we connect those dots and how we kind of get closer to the problem we're trying to solve from the actual customer's perspective, which I think historically financial services companies and banks have had a hard time doing because there's just like so much kind of so many layers, you know, and I think, um, you know, Shopify specifically, like it's funny because um, we've, we in some ways before even like, I don't know, terms like fintech or embedded finances were a thing. We just saw problems that needed to be solved. So <laughs> people needed to, uh, somebody needed to start a store and a shop and sell some, they were a builder and a maker and they had a product that they were selling. And so then they needed to transact and they needed to sell that product. And so therefore embedding payments and that whole payment processing became a very important part to reduce friction, to make that easier and to sort of help our customers and help their customers on that journey, our merchants. Um, and so I think like we're evolving um, and that we're probably just at the very beginning of that. But I do think that um, how you introduce financial services and fintech and some of the capabilities that like Wade and, and, and Gabe talked to at that po point in context of the problem that the either the end user or the customer or the merchant is facing is really sort of the, this really exciting um, connection that where we'll see some innovation. And I think Wade brought it up like, uh, it's not payroll. It's like, all I need is the ACH bits to move things around. And then I can actually think about how do we reinvent that experience? Um, so it's a pretty exciting time right now for this space. Um, and I do think like in some ways we all have to transact and money sort of makes the world go around. And so I think any company that's out there that's really trying to figure out how to solve problems will move towards being a fintech. Mm. I mean, Wade, as the sort of building blocks metaphor to continue, I think is really solid one. You know, you're you guys are kind of building the the foundations for the next generation of, of financial services in that instance, and that that's significant, isn't it? To your to your point on open source. Uh, I think actually you don't open source something or you don't create platforms like this for uh, little niche organizations to work with. You want to power the next stage of actually what the the stage for financial services really is. So, I mean, what, what do you think? I, I know, uh, I think Angela sits on your board. So uh, now's a good time to say you completely disagree with her and you think it's a bad idea. Uh, I just think it'd be funny for prosperity on the podcast, if nothing else. Uh, but what do you think? Is every company going to be a fintech company in the future? Yeah, you know, Angela is a board member, also has become a great friend of mine. And the way we think about this is, is you know, from a user journey or user story standpoint, this is a super high friction spot for any platform company. And so the, the bigger macro trend is, can we build software that helps people that are are uh, aligned to the industry that they're serving, right? Is that the dental practice management software to the to the yoga studio and making that user experience for the person who runs the uh, doggy daycare to be the simplest as possible for 
David to upload his vaccinations and and drop off Fido and look on the webcam and maybe just process that monthly payment in a super easy and convenient way. Um, And really up till now, financial services has been kind of uh, something that maybe e-commerce has embraced, right? The anonymous user paying for something online. Uh, But there's a lot of the GDP that happens both online and in brick and mortar. And a lot of those places are, are still, you know, there's, there's no stripe in the brick and mortar world. Uh, it's still a lot of legacy providers inside of that space. And so that's where we think the macro trend is, is those places are going to start utilizing technology in ways that they've never utilized it before. Um, and, and that's really what's going to make every company become a fintech because that pain point is the transfer of of value, the transfer of funds inside of those platforms. Mm. I mean, it's, it's interesting at, at that stage. I mean, there's, there's a great quote uh, in the notes here from uh, Matt Harris over at Bain Capital predicting that fintech could be that fourth platform. So uh, alongside internet, cloud and mobile. But does that does that a little bit do a disservice to the, uh, not the importance of financial services, but, but the uh, the lack of simplification in the market in terms of what's there. Because arguably, I mean, the thing that holds people back from transacting wherever they want to do is like fear sometimes. You know, people, I, I you know, I've done lots of uh, research in the past into things like mortgages. Uh, even somebody who's been a mortgage specialist for like 20 years will ring somebody to get confirmation they've not messed this thing up because of the just the sheer impact of of messing the things up that you you do with it. So it, it feels like we're we're seeing the commoditization of financial services and and with that almost the the unification of those things and also the confidence I guess in in players to explain these things to to customers in ways that financial services players have never really even thought about. I mean, Tui, if, if Shopify explained your products in the way that a big bank explains products to people, they'd probably not be very successful, would they? So, so I mean, is that is that what we're seeing? Are we seeing uh, people who are really great at communicating tough things to people, just doing it in a way that's much more effective? And then the technology is kind of catching up with uh, really the desire in the market, as, as you put it, Tui, to just keep solving these problems for customers. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point, David. And I think part of it is almost like we don't talk about it in the same terms that the financial services industry has discussed it. And I think this is a real opportunity for for banks and financial services to like change their language and their lexicon because it's intimidating and it's scary when you start talking about things like ACH and debit and credit and mortgage. Like it's it's intimidating. And so I think like when we talk about those problems at Shopify, it's in context to the journey or the problem that that person is trying to solve at that point in time in language that they understand. And there's so much that I would love to talk about in this area because I think like financial inclusion and the opportunity to sort of educate sort of, um, you know, for us, we're, we take that to heart in terms of like the small business and entrepreneurs and trying to help them with their financial acumen and literacy and really kind of growing that. But in general, the financial services sector, I think myself included coming from like a finance and accounting background, we're all guilty of using terms that are not user friendly. But if we can change that and we can actually just start talking in the language that are um, problems need to be solved by the end users and the customers will, it will significantly help. And I actually think we probably will solve new problems and innovate more that way too. What, what do you think, Gabe? Um, do, is this a, 
direction of travel? Are we going to see financial services popping up in every industry and every walk of life? You know, uh, actually, is there any company that actually isn't embedding financial services at this stage or at least thinking about it? I think the answer is, unfortunately, yes. Um, we're going to see them popping up all over. And now just, just kidding aside, I, I, I think that that is the direction and that's definitely where we are trying to play ourselves as an independent arena. We, we certainly started with big institutions. We've now increasingly invited, you know, fintech companies. Again, our is an open source community. So anyone is, is welcome to participate at any time. But when I say invited, it's really messaging and, and, you know, creating value propositions for them. Um, but again, the whole premise was to bring in all the different constituents, including again, regulators. I think there's an element of standardization that partly is going to be driven top down by the regulators. But like we've seen, for example, in open banking, people realize that there's a whole commercial viability there above and beyond what the regulators mandate that needs to be, uh, uh, you know, sort of shared or standardized. So I think ultimately the answer to your question is yes, we're going to, I am certainly a big fan of embedded finance and rather than considering finance as a pillar i visualize it really more as an horizontal layer that needs to be embedded in pretty much any other vertical and i think ultimately it's been just again culture lack of standardization and sort of the the historical way this industry has been you know building technology that have prevented that from happening from now maybe again this is the biased view of a technologist has only been in the industry for five years um uh, at the cost of coming across as naive. Uh, if uh, as a European, now I can forget how to write checks in the next five years here in the US, that would be my main goal to achieve because my wife candidly had to teach me when I moved in the US uh, uh, seven or eight years ago. Well, it's, uh, it, it is, a, uh, it is a, a real paradox, isn't it? Uh, some amazing technology and then some really weird paper every so often. But, uh, but it, I mean, it is fascinating. I think we could, again, we, we could talk about this for hours. We're definitely going to have to wrap up now at this point, just because I think uh, I think we could definitely go off for another hour just on one of these topics. I think it is amazing when you start talking about these things. I think when you start talking about embedded finance, people think you're going to start getting like a loan application with your Big Mac, or you're going to get, you know, if you upgrade <laughs> to the large Starbucks, then we'll, uh, we'll give you a credit card or something. And it's not that. It's exactly what Tui says. It's about seeing the problems that customers have and taking financial services to there to solve them. And the knock-on effect of that is if you want to do that effectively, you've got to change the technology all the way through the stack to actually allow you to do these things because it's not uh, weighed as we've seen in many big financial services organizations. If you just expose bad technology, it's not going to go very well. So uh, with that uh, note, we'll definitely come back to you, all three of you guys, and, and unpack some of these uh, topics at another date. But unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap up the conversation. So thank you very, very much, all of you, for, for joining us. First up, Wade, where can people find out a little bit more about you and the work you do? Absolutely. So number one, Wade Arnold on Twitter, uh, move.io uh, is where you can get access to all, all of our open source technologies. And I will do a little push for FinTech DevCon, which is by builders for builders. Uh, we hope that you leave actually inspired and not like you got sold. Um, so bringing in a lot of from project management to software engineers into Denver, Colorado uh, this summer. Uh, it should be an awesome time to get together and lift each other up. It looks awesome. I have to say, one thing I've definitely not missed during this pandemic period is traveling for conferences. 
but this one looks awesome. Like it really does look awesome. So definitely make the trip, guys. Uh, Tui, where can people find out a little bit more about you and the work you're doing at Shopify? Yeah, absolutely. So Tui Allen on LinkedIn or Tui Tweets on Twitter. And then I would say on any of those platforms, feel free just to follow Shopify. Very good. Gabe, where can people find out more? Um, you can find more at Gabriele Columbro on LinkedIn or twitter.com slash mindthegabs with a final Z or anything at finos.org uh, or on our GitHub organization, github.com slash finos. Uh, hopefully we'll see you in our community. Very good. As for me, you can find me predominantly over on LinkedIn these days. So uh, uh, reach out. Always happy to connect. Thank you very much for listening. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. Super helps other people find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on all of the social media channels at this stage. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email us on podcast at 11FS.com. Thanks very much for joining. Hope you had a good time. Goodbye. Goodbye.